Hey, I want to say thanks again for joining us this morning. It's always interesting coming off a week like Easter or Christmas, those big Sundays where exciting things happen, and it's like, what is next, right? And we found in our church planting journey uh, that often our smallest Sundays follow our biggest Sundays. Uh, this week, not so much. Thanks for being here. We, we, got a, we got a good turnout, but either way, really those things aren't terribly important because here's what I want to talk about today and for the next few weeks. Um, we celebrate things like Easter. We consider resurrection, and it's a, it's a big day where we get to uh, just enjoy this realization that Jesus has risen from the dead. But here's the beautiful thing, and Sarah mentioned it earlier as she welcomed us today. Um, the story continues. It doesn't end there, but it's an ongoing story. Jesus has risen from the dead, and he lives, and he offers resurrection life. And so today we're going to consider uh, kind of our response to resurrection. What does it look like to come to know uh, that Jesus is risen, and what does it invite us into? Uh, next week, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and, and uh, the Holy Spirit coming as the story continues in the book of Acts. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the church and the purpose of the church and what God has invited us into as the church. So today we're going to talk about kind of our personal experience of a risen Savior. Uh, we're going we're gonna to look at the story of resurrection, Jesus' reappearance uh, through the lens of Peter in John chapter 21. So we were at this conference this last weekend and heard so many beautiful and so many incredibly challenging things. It's, an, it's a conference called Inhabit, and um, it's put on by an organization called Parish Collective, and uh, just beautiful, deep, and challenging concepts. As one gal spoke this weekend, her name is Shalom, and she had to clarify that is truly her name. She didn't like pick it before she walked, you know, stepped up to speak. Uh, that's been her name since birth. And Shalom has been a pastor uh, for a number of years and has moved into some uh, more of the philanthropic world um, and uh, and just aiding her neighbors and working uh, with her city to, to bring about better opportunity for those with less opportunity. And a remarkable lady. And she, um, she mentioned this phrase as she spoke this weekend, uh, resurrection life in a Good Friday world. Now let me catch that. Let me, let me um, rein that in and, and, and help us understand what we're talking about here. So Good Friday, we celebrated with Craig and Erica. Thank you for hosting us for a, a Good Friday service. And um, Good Friday is a little bit of an ironic name because it's the day we remember Jesus who is crucified, the goodness speaking to his sacrifice and his love. So Good Friday is a day in which uh, death and loss is on the table. We remember that. We lament uh, uh, the suffering of Jesus on Good Friday. And resurrection life is what was realized on Sunday. And so the question becomes, what does it look like to live into this resurrection life in a Good Friday world? That is a world that is marked by death and loss, a world that is experiencing pain and suffering and challenging. What does it look like to live resurrection life in the midst of a Good Friday world? John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. 
Uh, Jesus had already, by the way, appeared to his apostles a number of times. Um, he has appeared, and, and they're like, I don't know. Thomas says, I got to feel the wounds in your side. And last week, as we looked at that text, we acknowledged that what appears a failure, a doubt. We call him Doubting Thomas, and yet it reveals something beautiful about Jesus. In the midst of our doubt and our fear, Jesus invites us approach, feel, experience. And so today we continue that story. Um, and the apostles have moved, moved towards Galilee. We'll read about it. John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, uh, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were there. I'm going to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. The apostles had been in Jerusalem for some time now. Um, Jesus had appeared to them there in Jerusalem, where he had been crucified on the outskirts of the city there in Jerusalem. It was the hub of Israelite life. It was their capital city, uh, for lack of a better term. This is where things happen. And and in the story that we're going to read today, they have moved outside of Jerusalem, outside of the central of Israelite life, and they have moved out to the margins, out to the Sea of Galilee. They've traveled out into the remote region. And yet, what's interesting is that this remote region is right back to where it all began, right back to the shores of the lakes that Jesus walked up to ordinary men and said, hey, come follow me, and you will learn a different way. Now, as Jesus had appeared to his apostles uh, previously, his disciples, his closest followers um, previously, um, a man named Peter uh, remained quite silent through each of those stories, uh, which is uncharacteristic for Peter. Uh, Peter is the talker. He's the one that takes action. He's the one that dives in. And yet, through all the previous resurrection stories, we don't hear Peter speaking up much. So they've gone out uh, to this remote region, and Peter speaks up with a profound statement. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going out, right? And, and there's a lot of speculation onto what's going on here. Have they given up? Have they gone back to their old uh, lives and careers? Uh, probably not entirely, but here they are. Nothing else has happened, and Peter's like, hey, here's what I know. I know how to fish. Maybe he's just hungry, right? So they get in a boat, and they go out to fish, and they catch nothing. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered, and they did it in that tone of voice, I'm sure. Uh, No. After a whole night of fishing, nothing. We have nothing. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning. Um, They saw a fire of burning coals there with, with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. 
So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples asked him, who are you? They, they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he had risen from the dead. Haven't you any fish? Is that sarcasm on the part of Jesus? Like, he knows, right? Is he mocking them? I kind of think so. Uh, and they say, no, we don't have any fish. Jesus is setting up a remarkable, a beautiful moment. Well, here's, here's Jesus' idea. Just throw your net on the other side of the boat. Now, most of us have never fished with a net, but let me say this was not like a strategic, strategic fishing move. Like with a large net, either side of the boat, you're really hitting the same water. You would move to a different part of the lake to maybe find new fish, but throw it on the other side of the boat. Uh, this was not a strategic move. So uh, Jesus enters with a sarcastic question. He throws out uh, an idea to them that probably seems asinine, like how in the world is that going to help? And yet they listen even before they know who is speaking, and they throw the net to the other side, and they catch 153 different fish. Um, there's a lot of speculation as to what this 153 uh, it represents, and like how is this significant? And I could tell you all these theories, uh, some of them kind of intriguing, and some of them so far a stretch, it's unbelievable. Uh, here's my um, scholarly theory. Uh, it's because there were 153 fish in the net when they pulled it up. That's that's my theory. That's what I'm running with. There's better. There, there's there's other theories out there, and you're welcome to share them with me afterwards. But they catch a lot of large fish. This is certainly uh, a point that's uh, that John is trying to make in the text here. So much that they can hardly uh, deal with it, right? They can't pull it into the boat because it's too much. They realize it's Jesus. Uh, remember John, the uh, author of this book, he doesn't refer to himself by name, but he refers to him uh, in an incredibly humble tone. Uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved is how he speaks of himself in the text. And uh, he's the one to realize, oh my goodness, it's the Lord. And here finally, Peter, in character, uh, reacts, right? He dives out of the boat and he hurries to shore. I love the character of Peter, especially in this text. That moment when we see Jesus, that moment when we realize him for who he truly is, like I'm all in, and I will not wait a moment longer. And he dives into the, the water and he rushes to the feet of Jesus. Friends, I want to live life like that, like Peter. And yet, in the process, he left his friends behind, struggling with a huge net that they could hardly get in from shore. But he's not worried about that in this moment, right? He's got to get to Jesus. And so they struggle in uh, with um, the incredible amount of fish that they've caught. And in this moment, I'd imagine as they're rowing and struggling, they are remembering um, a few years ago, when Jesus walked onto the shore, and a few of them, including Peter, were out fishing, and uh, and again, there's this question of why haven't you caught anything? And uh, and and Jesus says, "Well, go ahead and cast your net one more time." 
And they're like, this is pointless. I've already cleaned my nets up. I don't want to do it. And they do. And they catch, again, a large amount of fish. So they're remembering three years ago when I first came in contact with this man, Jesus, and this miraculous catch. Jesus returns, risen from the dead, stands on the shore, and he recreates for them this moment. In this moment, we catch a glimpse of the new beginning, right? We said in this little mini-series, as we continue on with the the theme of resurrection, um, the story continues. And so Jesus brings them back to the first moment here in the text today and says, it's just beginning, right? The story is not over, but it is beginning again. Jesus asked that question of them, haven't you any fish? And and I I got to thinking about that in my life this week. And I got to thinking about Jesus, uh, whether sarcastically or really seriously asking me in my my life, uh, haven't you any fish? Like, are the things that you're doing in life right now, the things that we are doing in life right now, are they fulfilling? Are they successful? In some aspects they might be, and in some aspects I might have to just honestly answer, no, I've got nothing. The things I'm doing in life right now are neither fulfilling or terribly successful. Sometimes we think, though, that when we begin to follow Jesus, life will change drastically, right? Every aspect of life, and yet we're still going to go to work during the week, right? We're still going to have to go shop for our groceries. Many of our rhythms in life will continue just like they go back to fishing, like they've always known. Many of those rhythms in life will continue to be the same, and yet Jesus introduces them to the miraculous potential when we just throw the net on the other side. When Jesus asks me, hey, aren't those things in life, have you caught any fish? Are they successful? Are they fulfilling in life? And Jesus is like, tell you what, do it with me. It might be the same activity of fishing, but just do it a little different. Do it with me. And they come to shore with 153 fish, remembering this is the man who is inviting us into something beautiful. And Jesus already has fish and bread, and we know from when he fed the 5,000 and the 4,000 that that would have been plenty to feed the whole crew. And yet I think it's interesting. He says, why don't you bring some of those fish to the table with you? Right? He says, in those ordinary, everyday things that you're doing, I've blessed you with this. Bring it to the table with you. Right? Bring what you have been blessed with to the table, and he invites them, and they sit with Jesus, and they share a meal again. Shalom, this gal that spoke, it was just yesterday. It feels like forever ago. We've driven back from Seattle and gotten a poor night's sleep and so many things since then. Uh, But Shalom, who spoke just yesterday at this conference, um, she works a lot with social social justice and uh, reform in her city and our nation. And um, she said, this is a question that needs to be at the forefront of our mind. Um, uh, We need to be asking, uh, who do you love and what is their pain? She says, "If, if love is not the central question, if love is not the central central question, then we will not be doing justice. Um, so she says, who do you love and what is their pain? Um, and uh, in this moment, uh, it really resonated with me as, I, as, as I'd been planning to speak on this text. Um, it really resonated with me because Jesus knows who he loves, his apostles. 
And he knows in this moment the pain that one in particular is experiencing, a man named Peter. You see, Peter had denied Jesus three times. Well, Jesus had been beaten and, uh, and mocked and was in uh, custody of Roman guards. Some people saw Peter, who's watching on as this happens, and they said, hey, you're one of his followers. And he said, no, I'm not. And again, they're like, yeah, I know, I've seen you, or your accent, it gives you away. I know that you're one of them. And uh, with curse words, he says, I do not know that man and Peter today sits here on the shore sharing a meal with a risen Savior whom he has just denied three times. Jesus knows who he loves. He loves Peter. And he knows his pain. And in verse 16, they had finished eating. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And when he says, feed my lamb or feed my sheep, he's speaking of uh, the hurting people around us. He's speaking of those in need. He says, Peter, do my work and care for those that have need. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Feed my sheep. Often in our Bibles, we've added this title here about what this section is. Jesus reinstates Peter. I think something remarkable happens in this moment. Jesus, knowing his love for Peter and knowing the pain that Peter is feeling, Jesus engages. He takes Peter uh, shoulder to shoulder, wraps his arm around him, and he walks as they talk. And he invites Peter to move beyond his pain and his shame and back into a place in Jesus' mission, right? He, He says, we can put the rest behind. And I don't think it's by accident that he asks him three times. Peter, having denied him three times, now has three opportunities to say, I love you, Lord, right? And Jesus says, all right, then join in what I am doing. So today, uh, I, I, I want to ask this question. Who do you, who do you love? And what are what is their pain? You see, Jesus approaches each of us in that posture. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of Peter in this text. We are those that have um, fallen short and sin. We have regrets and we have hurts and we have pains in life. And Jesus' message to his followers is this. Do you love me? Yeah, Jesus, I love you. And he says, all right, then get involved. Step in to the work that I am doing in this world. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. And he says, all right, then begin loving the people around you. Feed my sheep. Care for those in need. So in the way of Jesus, we find ourselves invited into this life of walking shoulder to shoulder with people in pain. In fact, for just a moment, internalize this. Who do, who do you love? It's okay if it's your spouse. It, we can broaden this idea of love beyond that, though, to a coworker or, you know, the people that we come in contact with in our lives. Who do you love? 
And what's their pain? You see, Jesus, in the, in the mode of Jesus, as he interacts with Peter here today, he invites us, walk shoulder to shoulder with that person. Engage that situation. And in so doing, begin to take on some of that pain, to carry that burden with them. And in so doing, we experience resurrection life in the midst of a Good Friday world. Do, do you get where we're coming around to? This idea that in a world full of pain and hurt, Jesus demonstrates for us this mode of life in which we come along shoulder to shoulder with the person and the pain they experience, and we invite them to know resurrection life, new life, new hope, participation in the things of God. And so this becomes our cycle as followers of Jesus, um, as I think about church and the lives that we live outside of here, it's so easy to come to church and like check that box off and go home. But this is not the cycle that Jesus invites us into. He says, no, if you love me, well, then feed my sheep, care for those in need. And so we gather on a Sunday. We, we come together in places like this and many churches throughout our community and throughout the world. We come together uh, and we commune both with Jesus and with with each other. The conversations we have together on these mornings are beautiful and incredibly important. We take communion and, and we commune with Jesus and we remember his love and his sacrifice. We have this moment of intimacy like the apostles as they sit here and share a meal with Jesus on the shore, a risen Savior. We remember a risen Savior as we take communion. So we gather and we commune and then we are sent. Jesus says, all right. The story continues. It doesn't end as we walk out these doors. No, we have come. We have communed. And then we are sent to feed his sheep, to care for people in need. And so we're sent into our neighborhoods and our workplaces. Jesus saying, hey, feed my sheep. Care for people in need. And we're sent back into our homes with our families and the parks that we go to with our kids. And Jesus is like, don't forget, you are sent. Feed my sheep. And we sit in coffee shops and we shop at grocery stores and we encounter people. Jesus is like, those are my sheep. Don't forget to feed them. Care for them. We care for those in need. We demonstrate the ways of Jesus. We are a people like Peter who are flawed and carry hurt and regrets. We have our pain of our own, but Jesus has taken us by the shoulder and said, hey, come back, join with me. And we get to reciprocate that in the world around us as we are a sent people to go into the world to feed Jesus' sheep, to care for people in need, to demonstrate his ways in the world around us. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this day for this time to uh, explore your word uh, and what you have for us in it. Thank you uh, for the way of Jesus, uh, having risen uh, instead of a flashy demonstration of power. Uh, he chooses uh, a humble meal on the shores with his closest. And Father, thank you that we too are his closest, that we have been adopted into this family that he has taken us under his wing and um, spoken words of love into our lives, new hope, resurrection, life. 
Father, I pray that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus, in that we realize we are a sent people to demonstrate and to speak to and invite people to know your love, your uh, restorative power in, in people's lives. Father, help us to know more of resurrection. Help us to demonstrate resurrection life. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll leave you with this benediction in these words. In a Good Friday world, one in which death and loss seem to reign, may we know resurrection life. May we demonstrate and invite others to walk in this resurrection life. Have a blessed week.